Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. All right, well, we're back, and thanks for listening to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Um, my guest today is Marilee Bramble. Marilee, did I say that right? I always do this. I always second guess myself, always make fun of myself, but anyway. Yes, I got it, it right. is Marilee and it is Bram Hall. Hey, see? Perfect. Um, first time, first time, first take. And we'll leave all this in just to make fun of Scott. So you were introduced to me through um I think you've I think you're working with a podcast, uh, a group that's helping you market your 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 brand. And uh, they've helped uh put me together with guests before. And so we did something very unusual for me right now is that we really didn't talk before this episode today. So we're going to get to know each other on, on live air, if you will, it's recorded, but Hey, it'll be fine. Um, Iola wines. Yep. I went to your website. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to share everything I know and then it's going to be really quick and then we're going to go. But what I, what I got a kick out of is I was curious about the name and Mm -hmm. it was, you named it after your mother or excuse me, your grandmother, not your mother. And I'm looking at this picture (laughs) And that caption is Iola on the family farm circa 1940s. And here's this, this, this black and white photograph and I'm going to try to blow it up. And your grandmother is wearing a striped dress. Yep. And in heels. Yes. <laughs> in the dirt. Mm-hmm. With her hand around a steer or a yes. bull. Yes. <laughs> and fashions have really changed. Um <laughs> I just, I, I looked at that and I started laughing. It has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. I just thought it was a pretty interesting visual. Uh-huh. But you, you, your inspiration for the branding for the name is from your grandmother. So let's talk about, you, you have a, a long backstory in, in the wine industry. What, what were all the events that, not all the events, but what was the event that led up to you starting Iola Wines? And let's, let's go with that. Okay. Um, well, like most of people, we, uh, we have a circuitous, circuitous journeys to get us sort of to where we are, but, um, yeah, long story in the wine world. Um, for me, it started really when I was a kid, I grew up with, um, I was really fortunate to grow up with a father who's an enthusiast. He still is, loves what I'm doing. He's a big, been a big support of it. But when I was about, I don't know, like 10 or 11, um, it was a summer day. He grilled. Um, and I don't know why it was just, he he and I were the only ones home that day. The rest of the family was not around. So he grilled some T-bone steaks and he was pouring his favorite left bank Bordeaux. And for whatever reason, decided I could have like this much. And so I had this (laughs) tiny taste of left bank Bordeaux when I was about 10 or 11. And it left a massive, huge impression on me. And it was not so much about, wow, oh, this wine tastes so delicious. It was more um, about what it meant. It was, for me, I knew it was special. I knew it was for sharing with people that, um, you know, you enjoy to be with, that it went with wonderful food, um, that it was from somewhere far away that I was curious about as a kid. I mean, as a kid, I, you know, one of the things we do for fun, you can, I mean, I totally date myself, but we used to go to the airport and watch the planes, you know, leave and oh. depart. Like you could walk right to the gate in those days. Yep. 
Um, Did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. definitely. You know, it was a fun thing yeah. to do in Seattle as a kid. So, I, you know, I used to th- imagine, you know, where are those planes going? And so when I got to taste that that sip of wine, I imagined this place far away that, um, you know, I was curious about. And that curiosity continued. I eventually, you know, the first time I went to France was, I think I was about 18. And my mom likes to say that that changed my life. And I think she's probably right. I mean, I just fell in love with the, the culture and the language and the food and, you know, became certainly more curious about wine. And um, eventually I lived in France for a while during my university career and then um, came back here and to the, to the Seattle area and um, had the great good fortune to go to work for um, a really fantastic um, wine company here in the Northwest. And so I was in the wine business um, locally here, domestically, um, California and Washington wines for just about a little bit less than a decade. And mm-hmm. um, in terms of the, the like, how did I get to Iola? What happened basically for me was about 2008, I became really curious about the origins of wine because, you know, I, I, I realized that um, Cabernet Sauvignon is not from Napa Valley. As great as the the Cabernet Sauvignons that are grown there, that is not where the grape is from. So I just got real curious about, okay, where did all this begin? Where did this start? And so that led to me um, in 2008, I basically stopped buying any um, domestic American wine and started only buying wines from the old world. And that was sort of the beginning of me kind of geeking out about native grapes and origin story of wine. And um, and then eventually I got into studying wine in more of what I would call a scholarly way. And then eventually I started importing wine. And that was in about 2017, I think, is when I started first started importing wine. Iola Wines did not start until, um, funny enough, covid is when I actually started Iola Wines. And, you know, we all have a, a pandemic story and mm-hmm. my yes, pandemic. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everyone's <laughs> got an interesting one. And for me, I feel incredibly blessed for what my pandemic story was, because although it started out a bit daunting, which was um, I had about six pallets of wine arrive from France and Italy in the very early part of 2020. And around March or so, I, I mean, this wine got here in around February's time frame. Um, I was gone a lot of that month of February 2020 just for trade events in different places. March 12th of 2020, I did a, an event at a wine bar in Seattle. And then March 15th of 2020, we went into lockdown. Everything closed. Restaurants were closed. And that was the day that I lost all of my customers in one day. I was selling to, to small restaurants around Seattle. Lost lost all the customers in one day, and I had six pallets of wine to sell, and no legal way to sell it. So um, I've been thinking for quite a while about um, selling direct to customer online, and you know, trying to like, could I start a wine club, and how might that be? I mean, it would be really fun to curate wines for people. And since the beginning, I've always worked with women producers in France and Italy that are doing sustainable and organic viticulture. So really conscientious about how. <coughs> they are um, farming and how they're, um, you know, they're paying a lot of attention to what's going on in both the vineyard and in the cellar. Things are very low intervention in terms of how they grow and make their wines. Um, so 
when it turned out that I had six pallets of wine to sell and no legal way to sell it and no idea really um, what was going to happen with restaurants, how long it was going to take before, you know, things would change. And, you know, that era was so strange. We just did not know what was ahead or how long, you know, things would be the way they were. So it took a while for me to get my, my licensing. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to test this. I'm just going to do a test and see what happens. And, um, the long story short was I built my own dorky little website in that era. Um, I just didn't want to spend money on anything until I had a sense for if there was going to be interest out there. And it was amazing, Scott. It was absolutely amazing. Completely different than selling wholesale. I mean, I, and I was fortunate. I had some wonderful wholesale customers, but, um, selling direct to consumer, especially during the pandemic, I was doing everything myself. I was, you know, I re- I did the website myself. I did my own social media. I did all my own, own accounting and bookkeeping and I was delivering wine. So I was just selling right here in the Seattle area. And a couple of days a week, I'd go out and make deliveries. And it turned into, I would stand on people's porches and listen to them tell me about, well, when they went to Tuscany or when they went to Bordeaux or when they went to Burgundy and, um, they were so grateful that I was showing up really with a bottle of memories for them, a way for them to sort of travel virtually through the bottle that I brought them and remember the times that they had, um, traveling through wine, um, regions in, in France and Italy. So, so that was the beginning of Iola really was the pandemic. let, let me let me pause you here because I want to I want to ask a couple of questions because that yeah. was a lot of information. You <laughs> that just is shared. a lot of information. But I, I love I love you're, you're absolutely correct. Everyone's got a pandemic or a COVID story. Um, if and I say this every time I say this, I go I'll never say it again. But you know we all pivoted. I hate that word because it was so overused. But yeah. everybody everybody you know didn't. None of us had a clue what was happening. I mean, it, no matter what industry or what we were doing, so. The, the takeaway from me having these conversations with people over the last, you know, during and post pandemic is that most people, and I know this isn't completely true. I'm sure there's people out there that as soon as I say this, will will argue against it. But most of the guests that I've had have actually found that there was a, a silver lining to the, mm-hmm. to the cloud and that by taking the risk and taking the leap that they would have maybe talked themselves out of had things just been been normal. Yeah. Where they're at now is remarkably different and maybe better than where they the, the trajectory that they were going on. What I what your story what I think is interesting is a you kind of, you know, you you, you made your own website, you did all these things. You 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 were very frugal. Mhm. But the part that I really want to explore just a little bit here is you said you were making deliveries in person. Now, during the pandemic, we weren't supposed to be in person. And, you know, so I'm, I've got this kind of funny visual in my head that you're, you've got a big stick and you're handing things across six feet away and you're all masked up and everyone's, you know, and you're, and because actually there was a, um, uh, in the real estate space in a certain county in Washington state, the only way you could deliver documents was to put it in a pail and then they would take it, uh, the pail back on a stick through the, through the doors. They would, they wow. were using. Well, yeah. I have not, not so, heard that. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, and they would only record documents once a week. If that uh, it was very, I mean, no one knew what to do. So what I'm thinking here is that you took, you took the leap because you didn't really, 
Well, what other choice did you have? You just said all your, your customers were shut down. They weren't going to be buying wine from you because they couldn't sell the wine. Exactly. They were trying to figure out how to survive. So they probably exactly. opened up, you know, a takeout, takeout and delivery or turned it into a product that they could sell. So you went direct to consumers, which sitting here in 2023 seems like a really, oh, that was really, you know, that's obviously what you would do. But I don't think that was an obvious move. I think that was kind of a risky, scary move. Because your local Seattle small restaurant, how much wine was a small restaurant a client of yours buying at a time? Oh, gosh. See, see if I can remember. Um, cases at a time. Cases. Yeah. And you're, 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 now when you're delivering bottles of wine, bottles, not cases, to a consumer, it's a much smaller transaction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're you would think, but there are people that, I mean, especially during the pandemic, there were case, multiple case deliveries. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. But nonetheless, it was a different, it's a different model. Mm -hmm. And what I think is, is great that you, you, you adapted on the fly to this. The thing that, and I'm going to tease you. This okay. is, this is me being, I can take teasing it. you. Bring it. Okay. I can take it. Here we are, you're, you, you, you live in Washington state. And even though I'm not a wine aficionado, I do know that Washington state has a reputation for being a great place for wine. Lots of, lots of great uh, wines are being made and, and grapes are being grown in the state of Washington. And yet you've turned your back on us and you've gone old world. <laughs> And I'm teasing you because this is the Exploring Washington State show. I got to step step up and protect the state. No, I'm, I'm teasing you. But I actually, the way you describe the reason why is actually very interesting. You were saying that Cabernet Sauvignon, California makes excellent Cabernet Sauvignons, but the grapes are not from there originally. Mm -hmm. So I like the fact that you went back to the start, to the resources where the grapes are grown. But just between you and I, no one's listening to this. We're, we're, we're not recording this. We're just okay. sitting here having a, you got, do you like Washington wines? Of course. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I had the great good fortune to drink a lot of incredible wine during my career here in domestic wine. Oh my goodness. Okay. Very, very fortunate okay. to drink some. And, and I mean, the reality is my family, Iola, she was born and raised in a small town called Dayton, which is about 30 minutes from Walla Walla. My parents live yep. in Walla Walla. I, I grew up working on the family farm. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, that part of the state is a big part of me. And coming mm -hmm. from an agricultural background is really, um, I think, advantageous for me in my work now. Because so the producers I work with, they're people that grow their own grapes and make their own wine. They're not like it's very common here in the state of Washington to have you have growers and winemakers mm -hmm. buy from growers. You, right. It's much less common to have people that are doing it from vine to glass. So 
because okay. I had that agricultural background and the experience working in the wine business here, it's really mm-hmm. um, been beneficial when I, you know, when I meet a new producer and we're, we're walking through their vines and they're usually worried like, oh no, you know, the first thing is when I get in their car and they're like, you know, it's a farm car, it's a little dirty and, you know, they're all worried and then people tell them, you know what, um, I grew up working on our family farm. Um, I know that the days are long, the work is hard and it's dusty and dirty and and, you know, some days it's you get really muddy and um, you just clean your shoes at the end of the day. And I mean, it's really, really important to me to be out there in the vines mm-hmm. and actually see what's happening in the vineyards um, because I'm committed to for our wine club members, making sure that I go and vet what's going on from the very beginning from the vineyard all the way to what's happening in the cellar so that 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 I can honestly say okay, yes, they have an organic certification and I've gone and seen for myself what's going on and what their approach is to how they're growing and making their wines. So yeah, so I, me, I will never ask. turn my back on Washington state. I, um, I, I mean, I, I go to Walla Walla quite a bit to be with family. I'll, I mean, mm-hmm. every year Thanksgiving is a big, big event for us. And it's that we actually spend it in Dayton with my family in Dayton. So Dayton's a cute little town. It is. It's, just, it's got a cute little downtown core. Uh-huh. It's, it's, uh, so you know Dayton. I do know Dayton. That's I, I awesome. Do. Uh, um, yeah. Not I've, a lot uh, of people do, so that's yeah, cool. Yeah, no, Dayton's kind of an interesting um, business took me there for a while. Oh, really? And, uh-huh. Um, so well, my... my I, I manage a portfolio of foreclosed homes for a client. Oh, wow. And there was a foreclosure. I had a couple of foreclosures in the Dayton area. Mm-hmm. So would go out there, make sure that the work was being done to remodel the homes, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I would go out to Dayton and um, lots of other little towns throughout Washington State that, you know, have distressed properties. Uh-huh. But I always thought Dayton, it was, um, and what's the other one? Is it Waitsburg? Waitsburg, yeah. Yeah, Waitsburg looks like, now- when I was through there last, it, it was, it looked like the pandemic kind of slowed things way down there. But Waitsburg also has some character to it, it to its downtown core as it well. It does. Yeah. It's really so, cute as well. Right. Well, let me ask you this because you, the, to kind of say a couple of things. So this is what I'm aware of with Washington wines. You're, you're absolutely correct. There's a lot of, a lot of growers and then winemakers are buying their grapes from various growers. And you said you're, you're really going from, from, ground to glass okay Mm -hmm. now i'm putting you on the spot here and and this is probably you know more complex question than than i'm going to phrase it as so this is designed to be simple but i'd like you to pick one of your wine producers that you're working with right now okay and and let's say they're french how many acres of grapes do they have in production Mm. yeah that's a great question so the vast majority of the producers, all of the producers I work with are um, pretty small production. So mm-hmm. um, I just actually, I, I just got home on Sunday night from a long trip to France and Italy. A lot of that was visiting producers and then a, a little bit of it um, to actually had some Americans there that wanted to do a wine and food tour. So I spent some okay. time doing that as well. But in terms of how big they are, they, they, um, measure in hectares. So, um, a lot of them, many, many of the producers I work with have a right around eight hectares. Some have as little as three and a half hectares. Um, 
the like the very quick math that you can do in your head is really just to double that and that's a good approximate for how many acres that is so seven to 15 let's just call yeah, it like that exactly so yeah less, a, less than 20 not a lot mm-hmm. not a lot not a lot no and okay. that, that and that's intentional on my part because i'm looking for people that women that are doing this really by hand they're mm-hmm. um and that's where the low intervention piece comes in uh, they're not they're not out there with a lot there's no chemicals allowed in um in the vineyard. So no pesticides, no herbicides, no chemical fertilizers. They're relying on things like cover crops that actually feed the soil, um, mm-hmm. to nourish the soil and give it the life needed for the vine, which is, it's not a lot, but, um, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, same thing in the, in the winery, Just minimal intervention to the wine. So really, you know, I look for women that are, um, their fermentation process is in with indigenous yeast. So the yeast that's living on the skin of the grape and kind of, you know, living in the vineyard and winery is what they rely on for fermentation rather than selected yeast that comes from the lab. Um, and I think that, you know, when I can find wines like that, they're so vibrant and alive, the less intervention there is by humans, the more terroir expressive a wine is going to be, the more it's going to be a representative of the place where it comes from. And that's what I'm always looking. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, really at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, wine is about a sense of place. And Mm -hmm. that's why it can be confusing to buy a bottle of French wine when it just says, you know, maybe it just says Bordeaux on it. You don't, not everyone knows, well, what, what grapes are that? Is that a city? Is that a wine region? Is, what are the grapes? And it can be really confusing. <laughs> and the reason for that is really specific in France because wine is so much about a, um, a sense of place that people just automatically know what's in there because they know what grapes grow in that place. And people generally tend to grow grapes, the, the grapes that do well in the place where they are living, if that makes sense, rather than trying to, you know, oh, I really like this grape, but it doesn't really do that well in a warm climate, but I'm going to just do it anyways and try to force it. Instead, I'm working with women that are, they're working in, I mean, we like to say in radical harmony with the earth, they're working in harmony with nature to, to allow nature to give it, give its best. So we've, we're working now when I think of grapes and I think of Washington state, I think of people that have, you know, lots of acreage planted. These, the women that you're working with have small, to me, it's smaller, right? Mm -hmm. So from a production standpoint, let's take a, an eight hectare, uh, vineyard approximately what's their production in, 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 in bottles or cases from that. I mean, to help me like get a mindset around that. Sure. Yeah. So it, it depends of course on the year, some years, um, <laughs> it's going to be really painful and there's not, there's, you know, vintages can be really hard and that's happening more and more frequent frequently right now. But if you have about eight hectares, then you can estimate that you're going to have around 50,000 bottles a year. So 50,000 okay. bottles, that's a maybe, lot of bottles. It, well, it might sound like a lot, but if you look at, you know, a producer here in Washington, like, you know, maybe Chateau St. Michel, they're making, you know, something like 7 million cases a year. So relatively it's very different. 
Okay. So, so then on the small side, then we could just do the math. Your small, your small vineyards might be doing 20 to 25,000 bottles in a, in a year. Yeah. I mean, I actually work with some, I actually work with some that make about 12,000 bottles a year. Okay. So that's, that's still to me, a lot of bottles of, of anything, but in this case, wine. All right. Yeah. It's, it's 1200 like, cases a year. It's not very much when you think yeah, about sounds, like how many, yeah. how many, um, you know, how many other importers is she selling to? How many restaurants are buying her wine around Italy? You know, things right. like that. 1200 right. cases isn't that much. And then if you have a bad vintage, it's, it's going to be less than that. Right. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate the whole, you know, you're vetting the wines that you're you're distributing to your club members and all of that. But one thing that we you've touched on, but we haven't really directly addressed. So let's let's go there. You're only working with women winemakers. Yeah. And that is interesting to me. And I want to know why. What what is the what was the motivation? Where where did you finally come up to this? Because when I was reading on your website and I'm going to misquote you, but it's a small percentage of total winemakers are women. I can't remember what it was. Was it 15%? Was yeah. that, was it's, that? Fi- it's about 15% okay. globally of all winemakers are women. Okay. So, all right. So a small, a much, you, you've shrunk the pool of available wines now by a massive amount. Yeah. But what was your decision? What, what made your decision to go that direction? Why women? Is that the question? Yeah. Why, why women? Well, I'll tell you, um, it's interesting, you know, working for me, my experience working in the business here in the U.S. and then my experiences studying and traveling through wine region, wine regions in Europe, it's, it's so common to see. I mean, here in the U.S., I just saw a lot of men in winemaking. I saw women trying to get those jobs and they weren't successful in getting them. Um also didn't see a lot of women in senior leadership roles when I was working in the business here in the U.S. And mm-hmm. um, and then traveling in the wine regions of Europe, it's so common. You know, driving around France, you see so many vineyards that, that say père et fils, father and son. And eventually I just started oh. wondering, where is the mère et fille, the mother and daughter? Why is, why is there no, I mean, all these signs that they all say, you know, there's a last name and then père et fils, father and son, which, you know, it's for a long time, it did not occur to me to even question it. And then mm-hmm. once I did question it, which was, you know, probably around 2015 or 2016, couldn't stop thinking about it. Just couldn't stop thinking okay. about it. And, you know, that era was, um, it was a challenging time for women. And I think women are, it's funny, you know, it's almost a, it's almost paradoxical on the one hand, this isn't, you know, it's a difficult time for, for women and certainly in the U S um, things have, you know, right. You know, just things are, have become more complicated for women than they were, you know, 20 years ago, let's say 10 years ago. Okay. Um, but then at the same time, there is, I see, a, just a groundswell. There's so much opportunity for women right now at the same time. And so when I do, you know, I do private master classes regularly for people. And when I t- tell them that globally 15% of 
winemakers are women. And, you know, we're not talking about the volume of wine being made. If we looked at the volume of wine being made, how what the percentage of wine actually being made by women would be significantly smaller than 15%, I'm sure. Um, but the flip side of that is here in the U.S., about around 80 to 85% of all wine purchases are made by women. So if women, yeah, we actually have a huge opportunity here. So that's part, that's a big part of the story for me is it's not just, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for women. It's because we have an opportunity to change that 15%. The more that we buy from women and the more that, I mean, I see this with uh, producers that, that I work with, you know, there's, there's several producers I work with where it's a um, father and daughter's. And those relationships are, you know, just like all of us, they're all different. They are different dynamics. There are fathers that are just over the moon. They're so proud of their daughters and so proud that their daughters want to be a part of, you know, taking over and being the next generation. They're so proud that they've, they've changed the name of their, um, of their vineyards to say father and daughters on it. And then there are some that are a little more skeptical. Um, and then when I show up and they hear that I only buy from women producers, then they're like, oh, well, that's interesting. And I think the more that that kind of thing is happening, it will change things there and it will also change things here. So, I mean, does that answer your, your question about why women? Well, it, it, it does. And here's the thing, like, once again, I know next to nothing about wine then you're my kind but of person ha- honestly I- but but then but see here's the thing i had a, a preconceived notion mm-hmm. and your statement kind of confirmed that my preconceived notion was somewhat accurate and so what i wasn't aware of was that only approximately 15 percent of all winemakers are women wasn't aware of that but i operated under the assumption that the majority of wine purchases were made by women mm-hmm. and uh, not that, and so it, it's almost an inverse ratio. If eighty-five percent of wine purchases are made by women, but only fifteen percent of the wines are made by women, that does seem like a very um, unlevel opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I, I like what you're doing. I think this is really interesting. I was just I'm curious about you know what got you there in that. Mm-hmm. So, and I and not not having i've never been to france so i've never seen the vineyards where they're named father and sons and and you notice this and and so that's interesting to me also when you started the wine club how was it received and how did you start so i know you started during the pandemic Mm -hmm. but what steps did you take to reach out to the direct to the consumer what and how was this women only focus accepted in the marketplace? Oh, it's been fascinating. It's been, um, joyful. It's been a joyful experience for me. Um, and I, like I said, I had some great clients, restaurant clients that I worked with, but there is nothing like, um, working direct to consumer. I enjoy it so much. So what I, you're asking like, how did I, how did I get the word out? You know, how did that happen? Yeah. The way it happened is the way things happen with women in general. When we hear about something cool, we usually like to tell our friends about it. So, um, I've never done any advertising. 
It's just okay. been women. I mean, literally during the pandemic, it was, you know, I told some friends and then they told some friends and they told some friends and they told some friends. And um, gradually it became a situation of like, okay, wow, well, this is interesting how this is working out. Maybe the idea would be to actually double down and develop this business and go a lot bigger. Cause at that point, I mean, I had a pretty small portfolio of producers that I worked with. Um, I think at mm-hmm. that point I was working with maybe five or six producers. Um, right. now I'm working with, I mean, we're getting to around 50 different producers, a little bit less than 50 different producers. Um, let me, let me interrupt on that. So yeah. you got, let's just say 50, let's just okay. round numbers. Yeah. Okay. And you're buying wines from France and Italy. Yeah. What's the split right now? Is it 25 producers in France, 25 in Italy, you know, Boy, 45 and one, five? that's a great question. Um, I'm going to I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. I would have to go look. But I, is, my, it, is it fairly even? It's pretty close, but def- definitely there's going to be more in France. And the reason for that okay. is because I speak French and I don't speak Italian. So the fact that I speak okay. French doesn't limit me to only working with producers who can speak English. Whereas in Italy, okay. it's it's quite a bit more challenging. If 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 a producer doesn't speak English, it's we can. There's only so far you can go with Google Translate. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, that's a, that's improving all the time. Next it year, is. it'll, it'll yeah. be you know it'll be it'll speak fluent Italian for you, and you'll be just fine. So you've grown from you, you've basically ten x your opportunities in the sense of producers. Okay, so you you started this word of mouth, women sharing it, all of these things. The other thing that I believe to be true about wine and alcohol is that the state of Washington is super easy to work with and they don't, they don't make any, there's no hurdles. You, and I'm being totally kidding here. Selling wine. So currently how many states can you sell to? Right now I'm shipping to nine states. Well, technically nine it's states. eight plus the district of Columbia. Okay. And from a business standpoint, each state's got a slightly to extravagantly different set of hurdles that you have to, to, to navigate. Have you given any thought of working with a distributor that's already got those relationships set up or does that, does that destroy the direct to consumer? you. Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. And the reason is because I source and direct import all the wines. And that's Mm -hmm. the idea is that, um, I mean, there's several of several wines that I sell. They're not available anywhere in the U S except through me because these are small producers. And, um, there's certainly instances where people are, um, producers are, they love what the project is about. They want to be a part of it. Um, so okay. they'll make a decision to work with me rather than someone else because of what the project is about. Even even though I'm, you know, I'm small, I'm just getting started. And so, I mean, though I started this in 2020, there was quite a long period where, you know, we couldn't travel and not being able to travel was pretty difficult for me to source new wines. It, I had a lot of samples shipped to the house, you know, producers from France and Italy were shipping me samples, but, um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, 
sourcing without being able to travel was pretty difficult. And then, you know, the next piece of it was after making the the decision to really double down and invest in this business and grow it, um, that meant a whole bunch of infrastructure had to be put in place, like an actual website had to be built and a bunch of other things behind the scenes. And, you know, as a, part of that is all of the licensing with, with each individual state that, you know, we decided we wanted to target in our first, kind of our first, you know, push. Um, that stuff took a lot of time. So really, it's been, I mean, we launched the website, gosh, it's getting, it's almost a year. Wow. That just it, that Time was fine. I'm so used to thinking that it was about six months ago, but it was in December of last year. So yeah, we're getting okay. close to about a year uh, since we really, you know, sort of relaunched or like the re part is in parentheses launched um, mm-hmm. Iola Wines as it is today. Went through a whole process of branding that um, we didn't have, and that so the logo has a specific story around it, um, and it took a while to develop all of that stuff. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I've got a couple of questions. I'm okay. glad you mentioned the logo because I want to bring that up. But before we do this, you said eight states. Yeah. Obviously, Washington. Mm-hmm. Where else are you currently shipping wines? To Oregon, California, Colorado, Wyoming, Florida, um, DC, like I said, Minnesota, and New York. We just started in New, New York. York. Yeah, just got our New York license. And and actually, in a few weeks, I will be going to New York for New York Champagne Week, the 10th anniversary of New York Champagne Week. And um, going to do a whole Iola Wines event at a night that's um, put on by a group called The Fizz is Female. So that okay. should be a lot of fun. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Out of all those states, one of them doesn't make sense to me. Well, which one? Wyoming. Oh, and I really? say that I say, well, I say that, and this is my, this is population. There's not a lot of population mm. in Wyoming, mm-hmm. in the state of Wyoming. I, Oregon, I kid, you know, we don't like to talk about Oregon on the show. I kid, Oregon makes perfect sense. California makes perfect sense. Colorado makes perfect sense. New York is a no brainer. DC as well. Florida. Great. Minnesota. Mm, it's, there's a lot of population there. So I get that, but Wyoming. Why, why did you pick Wyoming in the, in, to, in the first yeah. iteration? If you that, that's a really good question. Looking at it from that point of view, I can see, oh yeah, that, that, that doesn't seem very logical. Why would she, why would she pick Wyoming? The reason why was because, um, a customer, customer lived there was like, please, please, can I just, I really want to be in your wine club. And I, you know, I got other okay. people that are going to want to be in it. So please, would you get licensed? So Yeah. Did that specifically at the beginning for a couple um, customers that that live in Wyoming, and the stories that I hear from them about living in Wyoming is that it's really tough to get these kinds of wines there. the The selection they have in the state is just very limited. So for them, having this is is just a wonderful thing. And that all makes sense. I'm, and I think it's great that you're doing this. And in a big company would have probably not made that business decision based on one or two people's request. They would have said, yeah, the math just doesn't work. We're going to do Montana instead, let's say, or Idaho maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I, I think that's awesome. All right. 
put you on the spot. Okay. I always like to ask forward thinking type questions. So that was kind of the first round. Where, where else do you want to expand to? What's what's kind of on the near horizon as far as distribution goes? Well, I would like to, uh, I mean, New York is brand new. So I'm excited, really excited to start building in New York. Um, I think New York is a, it's a super great market for us. Um, there's, you know, obviously a lot of wine drinkers there and there's a lot of women there that probably, there's probably a lot of people there. And I don't want to sound like I don't have any, um, that our customers are only women and no one else. I mean, we Mm -hmm. are interested in, um, providing wine for anyone that is curious and interested and, you know, wants to, what I'm trying to do really, um, Scott is democratize wine. I want people, anyone that's curious about it to feel like they're welcome. For too long, it's been kind of, um, it, there's been this vibe that you have to know some things before you can be a part of this, you know, wine thing. And, and that's not true. You know, it's really for anyone that's curious about it. So, I mean, I'm very excited about New York. I would love to be doing more on the East coast. Um, I think that'd be great. And then the other state that I dream of is Texas. I have a, a good friend in Texas who is, he and his wife are both wine enthusiasts doesn't begin to really okay. describe them. Mm-hmm. He goes to Napa um, once every year and works with a vineyard there to make his own. Oh, that's own fantastic. Wines. Yeah. And my limited palate, they're, they're enjoyable. I, I can't, I'm, I'm always afraid to, to like speak about wine in the sense that, you know, if you did a blind test, taste test in front of me, I'm afraid that if you poured Franzia, I might say I like that one the most and just be embarrassed. Okay, you know, the so box wine. can I tell you something about that? Here's my opinion sure. about that. You should never be embarrassed about what you like. And the reason for that is we do not live any longer in the era where we are drinking wine because it is safer to drink than water. There was an era <laughs> where that was the yes, case. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. You know, I mean, and it wasn't just wine. People had drank beer too because it, the water supply wasn't right. that safe. We don't live in that era anymore. The era we live in now is that um, the purpose of wine, its sole purpose is your pleasure. It's your enjoyment. Right. So if it's not, if it's not pleasurable and enjoyable, then you shouldn't drink it. I, you know, I tell people all the time, don't, don't drink something because some, you know, someone in wine that, um, you know, as someone in the know tells you that you have to drink it and that you have to like it and that you have to pair it with this food. If, if you're mm-hmm. not enjoying that, then, you know, life's too short to drink something that you don't yeah. like. Drink what you enjoy. That's the only purpose of it is your pleasure and enjoyment. So. Yeah, absolutely. So if you, right. if you ended See, up liking the box Franzia, then <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yes, there is. I can't quite go that far in agreement with you, but <laughs> Well, you get the idea uh, okay. behind that statement. Well, because don't they call it, isn't it, isn't it technically considered wine food? Cause it's not all, I mean, isn't there something about that brand in particular that anyway. About Franzia? I don't wanna, yeah. Oh, that, I don't it, know. I'm I, out of the loop on that one. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like craft singles and they're a cheese food. And oh, so they add oh. the word it's. <laughs> Not Meaning, really cheese. Yes. Yeah. And okay. so Franzia, I think, is a wine food and it's not really wine. It is. Anyway, let's. Oh, let's wow. That's. Put that. Let's put. Yeah, that's that, fascinating. that topic's dead. Let's move on. <laughs> the logo. 
the logo, you said there was a story and, and I, uh, you know, I was on the website and I looked at the logo and it caught my eye. It's intriguing. What's the story behind the logo? Oh, it's, it has a few different stories kind of all wrapped into it. Um, but the main story is about the woman. The woman is, um, she is based on an Etruscan woman. And so the Etruscans, you know, lived in what is now modern day um, Umbria and Lazio on the Italian peninsula. In that era, same era as the um, ancient Greek and Roman societies. However, um, the women that lived in those three societies all had very different experiences. Etruscan women were, they kept their own names. They were literate. Their children kept their names. They taught their children to read. They could um, actually go to um, athletic events and be observers, spectators. They could go to gyms and work out. They could um, walk freely throughout the town that they lived in without being accompanied by a male relative. They could do things like um, go to what they called banquets in those days. And, um, you know, which I would just sort of call a dinner party. So women were allowed to go to dinner parties. And the other thing that was particularly important in that era was toasting. Toasting was um, something that was um, sacred in a way. And women were allowed to toast. Etruscan women were allowed to raise their glasses and toast. At these banquets, they did not have to sit Mm. by their husband or brother or father. They could sit by any you know, any man in the place or, you know, whoever they wanted to sit with, they could. Um, And Mm -hmm. children would be running around in these banquets. Now, in the same era, Roman women and Greek women had a radically different experience. They weren't, they were usually confined to the house and not just to the house, to a specific part of the house. Um, Mm -hmm. They could not go to athletic events. They couldn't go to gyms and work out. They had to be, you know, in the the company of male relatives. They certainly could not go to banquets. The only women that the only women that were allowed to banquets were women that were there to, quote unquote, entertain. Um, So Mm -hmm. primarily prostitutes were allowed to attend these. And then and they were educated somewhat so that they could converse with the men at these events. Um, toasting, no way that would just, was never going to happen. Um, so there was a, a, um, I believe he's a Greek philosopher that traveled, um, around and he was writing in this era. And he, when he saw what was going on with these Etruscan women there, you know, they're, they're going to these sporting events and they're going to the banquets and they're toasting. He was absolutely scandalized by this behavior. And, um, ironically or not, and maybe this is where the word comes from, but his name was Theopompus. That was his name. So, um, the woman in our logo is based on an Etruscan woman who, um, you know, they, they really were on pretty close to an equal footing with men. And, um, there's a lot of interesting archeological, um, evidence of this and how they, you know, how they lived and what their society was like and what women, what the role that women had in Etruscan society was pretty different than everywhere, everywhere else. Now, unfortunately the Etruscans were overrun and conquered by Rome. So that all of that went away for women, their, their reality changed completely after that. So, so that's the, the woman. And then, um, 
that her collar is grape leaves and she has um, the seven sisters, the Pleiades constellation is over her head. And the reason for okay. that is that my grandmother was one of seven sisters. So that's why the seven sisters constellation is there. It's just a um, way of honoring my grandmother another way. And then the owl right. on her head is there um, just, it's just kind of a funny thing, actually. I have a thing with owls, which is, um, I don't know, it was maybe like 10 years ago. I was out for a run in the Arboretum here in Seattle, and an owl landed on my head. <laughs> Basically, oh. yeah, it was very surprising. I was in, in one of those woodsy trails. I had my earbuds in and, you know, a ball cap and a ponytail, and all of a sudden I felt this thing on the back of my head with a lot of force and it's kind of a goofy story I was screaming you know I didn't know what was going on and and then you know it came back and it was right next to my head flying right next to me and you know then landed on my head again and I got out of the the woods and I was screaming and another I heard another woman say do you need help do you need help are you okay and I said yeah I need help I need help and she, she said is it a man and I said no it's an owl <laughs> She came out of the woods with, with a big tree limb, and um, anyway, it was just an owl. So ever since then, you know, owls have been interesting and just an interesting animal to me. I've had a never had a close encounter quite like that with an animal. Um, so yeah, so and it was it was purely by coincidence that the designer had the owl up there. She did not know this story. So when the designer had the owl on the woman's head. And showed me, you know, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. It was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy because I've had an owl on my head before. So, so yeah, we had to go with the owl when. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Sorry. No worries. I, I don't know where my 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 mute button is anymore. It's been moved on me, so I apologize for coughing. I'm on your website, and I don't know how. What direction do I want to do this in? Let's let's talk about the clubs. Okay. Let's 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 talk your clubs. So currently, you're offering four. We correct? we technically have five clubs, yeah, because our our red wine club we have one that's called Club Rouge, and then we have a smaller version of it that's Petite Rouge. So there's two okay. red wine clubs, a, a white wine club, and then the sparkling, and then the connoisseur, which is little people that want a bit of everything. Which one's the most popular? Um, it's, it's really kind of a tie between the connoisseur and sparkling people, you know, so many people love sparkling wine and it's the, the, really the big growth category right now is sparkling wine. Okay. Yeah. Walk us through, walk us through the connoisseur club because I'm, as I, as I click on it here, you get six bottles four times a year uh -huh. containing, containing a mix of red and white and an occasional rosé and sparkling. Yep. All right. So it really is a little um, bit of everything for people that, um, yeah. yeah, want Can't to make up their minds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I make it up for them. You make it up for them. So you know, what goes into, so, so this goes out four times a year. So when does it go out? Is it January or it's, what's, yeah. what's the, what months? September, November, February mm -hmm. and May. Okay. So you just sent out the September we as we record this in early October, you just sent out the September. Yeah. What was in September's selections? Um, well, there was a couple rosés in there, one from France, 
from Provence, and then one Italian rosé, which is it's a fascinating um, area in Italy for rosé that I think it's I think it's starting to become a bit more known. But it's interesting, and I chose it specifically because of the fact that in the Roman Empire, Romans loved their wine. Wherever they went to conquer, the vine went with them and was planted. Um, they mm-hmm. they identified two particular places that were perfect for the production of rosé. One of them was Provence, and the other is the area around uh, Lake Garda in Italy, and that's where the rosé from um, Italy that's in our September um, allocation, that's where it's from. Um, and it's an interesting rosé, too, because it's it's a blend of four different grapes that are all co-planted in the same vineyard. They've been living, these vines have been living in the same vineyard together for a long time. Yeah, so they, okay. and it's, I, I, I happened to be there in the spring right around the time that bud break was happening. And um, the, the vines are all sort of waking up on their own schedule. So some of them were, you know, progressing faster than others. It was really fun to see them waking up on their own on their own schedules, really. So those are the two rosés. We did a white wine from Provence as well. That's a very, um, it's unique to find a wine that is based on the grape that this one is based on, which is Claret. Um, We did um, a red wine from Provence that's made by a producer that I've worked with for a long, long time. And I love this wine in particular because, one, it's a fantastic red wine for heading into fall. Also, the name of it is Marguerite Marie. And Marguerite Marie um, was her grandmother. So she makes this wine only in the best years, and it is a tribute to her grandmother. So um, I loved oh. that. When I found out about that wine, it's been several years years ago now, I have had my eye on it a long time. So I'm excited to be able to get get it and um, share that. And it's another one that's not available anywhere in the U.S. The, the rosé from France is not available anywhere in the U.S. except for through us. And then, and that, that rosé, actually, the one from France that we just sent out, um, it's been crazy popular this summer. So I, I think we only have like nine bottles of it left, some tiny amount oh, left. Okay. Yeah, it's going fast. Um we did an Italian wine from Northern Italy that's based on Nebbiolo, and it's called Gratus. Um, I love Gratus. For one thing, it's an incredible wine. Um, and for the other, I love the name of it. It's really, it's about gratitude. And so that's why it's called Gratus. And she, the producer says they call it Gratus because they're so grateful for their volcanic soils where this, um, this grape is grown. It gives it, get, yeah, it's a different expression of Nebbiolo um, than what we find in the Longue with Barolo and Barbaresco. So this is a, an exciting way to experience Nebbiolo. This um, wine actually, it's a blend with Vespolina and those two grapes are related so they work really well in a blend together and okay. it's a wine that is going to be absolutely extraordinary for um for thanksgiving it's going to be, be a beautiful okay. thanksgiving wine the two rosés will be as well yeah yeah so how many was that two three four um what are the other two you put me on the spot here i can feel my jet leg kicking in the spot what else was yeah in there? It's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat. Okay, that's okay. No one would know if you wouldn't have said anything. I wouldn't have told. She's cheating, folks. I'm cheating, everyone, because I have to remember what was in there. It's so funny because I write about all these wines, but 
in my defense, I will say we have, you know, we have so many different clubs and each one is getting different wine. So to remember with connoisseur. Oh, that's right. I gave you five, didn't I? Because I gave you two reds, two rosés, and a white. Yeah, so I was only missing one. Um, the and, and <laughs> the last one is um, another Italian wine that I'm really excited about. It's a white wine from the Marche, and um, it's the grape is Verdicchio, and Verdicchio is this is also going to be a wonderful wine for Thanksgiving. It is Verdicchio is a wonderful grape that. There's versions of it that are kind of what I would call sort of cheap and cheerful. And then there are other versions that are absolutely beautiful wines that can age wonderfully well. And it's one thing about Italian white wines. People don't realize that in Italy, there are a lot of native grapes. And this is a great fascination I have. Um, there's hundreds, really. I mean, it's fair to say that there's thousands of them because there's so many that really haven't been actually had the DNA work done and that are they'll just are disappearing because they aren't necessarily being um, grown anymore. But Verdicchio is, is a white grape along with several other white grapes in Italy that uh, age beautifully for, I mean, some of these wines age for a decade easily. And we don't usually think about white wine that way. So it's one of the, the other fun things about Italian wine. It's white wine is really incredible there. And it's easy. I think for a lot of us, when we think about Italian wine, we think about red wine, we all have uh, mm -hmm. generally some experience with red wine from Italy. A lot of times it's, you know, we're drinking red wine from Tuscany. That's what we're familiar, mm -hmm. Sangiovese, we're familiar with that. But not a lot of attention gets paid to the white wines of Italy. Okay. I'm on a mission to change that. You're on a mission to change yeah. that. I, I, I like this because you're, you're, you're obviously, you know, very passionate about what you're doing and, and that shines through. So moving forward, is it, unreasonable to expect more club offerings in the sense like will you go to the six offerings or no. or have you and she's shaking her head now yeah. so really you've, you've dialed it in with where you're at this is the sweet spot for you yep okay this is right. definitely yeah. it okay so what we're gonna we're gonna wind this down we're getting near the end of the bottle if you will okay and we're going to wind this down, but I think I've got a couple more questions for you. Uh, number one, where, where should people, cause I was sent a one sheet and there was, there was a TikTok and an Instagram and a Facebook mm -hmm. and a LinkedIn, your website, but where's the best place for people to find out about what you're doing? If they're curious and they want to know more about your, your story and about the wines, is the website the best place? Definitely, yeah. IolaWines.com is the best place, and it's easy there to sign up for our newsletter, which, you know, comes out periodically. Not, I don't bombard people with email, but it is a, a place uh, and a way for me to share stories about producers and wines that I discover. Um, I'm also about to start um, adding to our website and to our um, to my blog my favorite places because of the fact that I travel so yeah. much people, you know, ask me regular, well, do you know, like, where's a good place to stay or where, you know, are there any good restaurants? <laughs> and I have a list of boulangeries and patisseries around France that I know are the best ones. So excited. Okay. I mean, it'll be fun to share that stuff. So yeah, if people want to get in touch, the best way is the website or Instagram, Iola.wines. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Well, you kind of set me up for this. So this is this is the part I, I cautioned you about when we were talking okay. earlier. So I'm going to ask you two two questions. You know, you, you said you're going to start putting your recommendations on there. So let's let's get you to give two recommendations in in Seattle, though. Okay. All right. I'm a coffee fan. That's that's my wheelhouse. Where's a great place to get a cup of coffee in your part of Seattle? Um, I would. I just have to go with Fuel Fuel Coffee here in Montlake. Yeah. Fuel. Yep. I have not tried that. Okay. One. I was I was really thinking. You know, Seattle. I've, you probably thought you'd maybe covered them all. Which well, not covered them all, but it, there's been some consistent. N- Name dropping of the oh. brands there. So fuel. Okay. Yeah. Why, why do you pick fuel? Well, I, lo- I love the name. I, I mean, you got the name. Yeah. First of all. And then I like the vibe there a lot. Um, it's really welcoming okay. and, um, and the coffee is delicious. Um, okay. I'm not, I mean, all like right. my coffee drink is pretty basic. I just drink Americanos. Um, just do not apologize for that. I, 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 I prefer just a pour over black coffee. I'm very simple. Um, so do, do not apologize for an Americano. Solid. Yeah. Solid. Yep. And the, and that's what it okay. is there. It's a solid Americano. I love it. They usually awesome. have some nice treats available. I'm always looking for treats. So. So what's the go-to treat there? What would you, what would you oh, recommend? Boy. Mm, it's been a while since I've been there, so I don't know what's there right now. No, but what would you, what what have you had in the past that you would I'm always looking for a good cookie. So I would cookie. point people, yeah. yeah, yeah, I would point people to, you know, go with the cookies. Okay. And we'll get, we're going to come back to that in a second. Okay. All right. So the other, the other question I always ask my guests is I'm going to be getting to Seattle or what insert, I'd say Dayton. Actually, you know hmm. what? I'm going to ask you this question for Two different locations. Okay. okay. Play along, please. I will. I'm going to get to Seattle around time for lunch. Where is a great place that I should go for lunch? Um, kind of I'm torn not, between two I'm, places, but go ahead. I'll let I'll let you say oh, both. Thank you. Okay. Um, Bakery Nouveau on 15th on Capitol oh. Hill. I love Bakery Nouveau. I mean, that place is dangerous for me. I could do a lot of damage in there okay yeah and then the other place i love which i haven't been to in a really long time and i don't actually know what the status is volunteer park cafe um volunteer park cafe, yeah okay. i think that it's been sold but I, I i haven't been there in a really long time um but okay yeah back in the day that right, was so, that that's definitely a go-to all right so here's part two of my question okay you're visiting you're visiting family in walla walla yeah okay Where's a great place to grab something to eat in Walla Walla? Oh, okay. Um, the place that we have been frequenting the last several visits to my parents is, um, gosh, I have to receive if I remember the name because we have a name that we call it. <laughs> okay. Which is okay. in our family, we just, we just say, um, are we going to the patisserie today? And I think it's, I think it's um, Colville... I think it's Col- Colville, Colville Street, Street Patisserie. Yeah. Do you know it? Oh, yes. Yeah. I do. Yes. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I mean, I if do. you can't be in France, then that's pretty good backup. If you can't be in France, you're not at Bakery Nouveau, then um, Colville Street Patisserie. Actually, I would probably put but, it on a par with Bakery Nouveau. 
Patisserie is really great, good. That's a great. I, I have not been to to Bakery Nouveau, but I have been to Coffee Street. That place is great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How's the coffee? I've never even had a coffee there. I don't think I've had coffee there. Oh man! I think, but everything I I've, I've had there for, has been yeah, everything really delicious. Yes. Did you? <laughs> Here we go down the tangent. Did you ever? There's there is a gas station in Walla Walla, just outside the downtown core i think it's on rose mm -hmm. and the, the guy's not there anymore he op actually opened up a brick and mortar uh restaurant in in downtown which i haven't tried yet but it was andre's and gas station food the tacos there were amazing the guy's food is fabulous okay <laughs> he, I, yeah i don't i haven't been there but i feel like i've heard about oh, it from my it, family yeah it was so I, yeah, it's just, yeah, if, if your family's lived in Walla Walla, they, they know this guy and, and they know, they know the food that he's done and, and he's just, it's, it's awesome. All right. But anyway, we won't go there. All right. So here, two last questions. Okay. Question number one, question number one, what didn't I ask you that I should have? What didn't we cover that I should have, you know, we should have gotten to, did we overlook anything? Well, I'm gonna no. We didn't overlook anything, but there, you know, there's always there's always more questions that people could ask. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, you could have asked okay. me where did Cabernet Sauvignon come from? If it didn't come from Napa Valley, where where was it born? Where okay, where was Cabernet Sauvignon it born? It was born in Bordeaux, and it has okay. some illustrious parents. It's a okay. result of a natural cross between Sauvignon Blanc, a white grape and Cabernet Franc. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's named Cabernet Sauvignon. That very cool. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. All right. So here's the last question. Are you yes. ready? This is the one I wouldn't share with you earlier. Yeah. This is the one I told you you have to play along with. Okay. All right. Very important question. You don't, you have to answer it. There's no getting around it. We, we will not end the show without an answer. Okay. Okay. Cake or pie? pie. And why? Pie. And why? One hundred percent pie. Oh my goodness. Okay. My grandmother. Why? Was the queen of making pie. I mean, one time. Okay. This was before my lifetime, but I there's a lot of. Um, this is a story that's been handed down for a couple generations now. One one year during harvest, she made a different pie every day for thirty days. So I oh. had yeah, pie is a big thing in my family. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. So what, what type, what pie do you, what's the, what's the top of the charts with pie? Rhubarb. I love rhubarb. Um, she used to yeah. make one that was, um, raspberries and then she'd get black cap raspberries and make a, like a coolie that went on the top of the raspberries. That was delicious. Um, chocolate awesome. cream. I just love chocolate cream pie. Um, that was one of the first okay. pies I learned to make lemon meringue. I love that one too. I mean, I could go. I could, we could all be solid. here for another hour choices. talking about pie. I know, but all, all solid, all very solid. There's not a, there's not a wrong answer to the question. Apple? By the way, you know? I mean, but apple pie. Ugh, oh, amazing. Yeah. In Washington, it's kind of, it's so funny though. You answered it, you know, without hesitation. No, no hesitation. Boom. Some guests have like, it'd be like asking, you know, I'm going to cut off your hand left or right. And they're like hemming and hawing, you know, it was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> impossible to answer. No, I'm just, okay. So. You're 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 in camp pie, which I think unofficially is probably in the lead. By the way, 
with the guests. I I mean, it's by how by, can you by a margin now? For me, yeah, it's just I I, I don't know how yeah, you okay. need any time to think about that. It's just pie is so much better than cake okay. usually. So okay, all right, solid solid answer. So I really appreciate you sitting down with me today. Uh, you've informed me about wine. I think it's great what you're doing to um, draw attention to a small segment of the wine producers in the world. I think it's interesting that you've got the take on you're going back to the origins of the grapes versus say Washington or Oregon or California. And I, I, I like that. And I like the fact that you're, you're staying, you know, you grew up in Washington, you stayed here, even though you obviously have a love affair with, with, with Europe. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's wonderful. My daughter went to high school. She did her senior year of high school in Norway and came home. Uh, She had too much fun in Norway. So she had to finish up school when she got back, finished up school, was working, called me up one day and said, I'm moving to Germany. Will you sell my car? Wow. Not asking me for money. Not, not, you know, she, you know, she was 18 years old. She figured it out. She financed her trip. She got a job as an au pair. Good for her. Few Few months later, she called me to tell me she lost her job as the au pair. Once again, she didn't ask me for money. She found another job. She met a guy. They got married. They have two kids. She lives in a little town in Austria. And, you know, she she loves living in Europe. So Wow. Good for her. That is fantastic yeah, no. that she had yeah, so no, much clarity and she went and made it happen. She did. Mm-hmm. She really and she 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 is. I mean, it's not past tense. Yeah. She's she's making it happen. She's got um she she helps me with Explore Washington State. She runs all the social media. Wow. She's great at it. I I'm you know, and her her exact words were okay, boomer, don't touch that. Um <laughs> and, and, and that's perfectly okay. That's fantastic. And I, I don't. So I don't I don't I I don't even have an inst I don't even have our login to our Instagram account. I don't even look at Instagram anymore. I just I'm not allowed to go there. And that's probably okay. And I've heard this new thing all the kids are talking about TikTok, but I don't go there. I'm kidding. Yeah, um, I don't, but I, I'm aware mm-hmm. of it. Um, she's she's really good at all that. So I think it's great though that you you've been able to follow this passion, and and still stay local in Washington. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. I really this was a lot of fun for me, and I hope uh, I hope to that you continue to experience success with your with your wine club and and that you keep bringing good wine to people in hopefully more states soon. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure to be here. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore Law State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing to share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. I'm glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.